Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Samuels, and this is another episode of Coffee and Liquidity, the podcast that sits nicely at the intersection of curiosity and business. The American dream can mean so many different things to so many different people. There's no one right answer. There's no one right path forward. But let's talk about ways to set yourself up and your family up for financial freedom in the future. All right, we are live Coffee and Liquidity, Thursday, July 1st. Like Ryan and I talked about this morning, it's actually not July 1st. It is Bobby Bonilla Day. Got a good episode in store for you guys today. Uh, good friend, known, uh, known Tim Kotzman for, for a number of years now, um, ha- has uh, run a couple of different businesses in the energy space and uh, someone that is incredibly intelligent, incredibly articulate, and really has a great pulse in the market um, and is now focused in the minerals and royalty space. And uh, that asset has been getting a lot of attention as of recent. And wanted to bring Tim on to talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about where he sits uh, you know, in that space and kind of talk about the, some of the thesis. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on, Tim, if I can do this here. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Appreciate you taking the time. Tim, let's go ahead and just uh, dive in. Uh, for those of you, uh, those that listen in that may not be familiar with uh, with you and, and uh, you know, have, you know, aren't following you on LinkedIn, uh, first, kind of where can people find you and tell us a little bit about what you're working on and, uh, and about yourself. I guess you can find me on LinkedIn uh, under Timothy Kostman, uh, jubileeroyalty.com. And we're, you know, day-to-day raising capital and buying mineral and royalty assets. So looking to do that over a series of uh, vehicles and, you know, kind of wash, rinse, and repeat. So I know, I know, you know, every time you talk to an individual mineral buyer, each buyer has, you know, different ethos on and, and different uh, parameters on sort of how they value uh, opportunities and, and the what they're looking to invest in. Do you guys have a specific thesis there? Is there something that you're focused on granularly or is it really just if a dollar makes sense? What's, what's sort of the evaluation process like in, in this market right now? Yeah, I would say the deal either pencils or it doesn't, regardless of which basin you're in. And that obviously starts with just knowing what the what the pricing is on the check stub from each operator basin to basin. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, I think it's easy to get stuck in, in a northern basin or a southern basin or a western basin. And uh, so I'd say we're agnostic and just really concerned that the, that the deal pencils and that we're in front of the drill bit or have, you know, a really strong line of sight. How do you sort of find yourself coupling, you know, geology, decline curves, uh, oil, water cut, nat gas, water uh, a split, those those sort of things when you're doing a you know, more basin agnostic approach? We're really working hand in hand with our local partners, land guys that I've worked with over the decades uh, that are there and have that on the ground intel. Um, because, yeah, they're kind of a little crazy to think that you're going to be an expert in every basin all the time and mm-hmm. just fly around and try to be an expert on everything. So just leveraging those relationships. No, absolutely. I, th- I think that's a great point. You know, for, for a long time, um, the the mineral space has... I don't think it's gotten the right attention in in the um, in the same sort of on par ilk of some of these other asset classes of, of cash flow um, you know, revenue assets. Talk to me a little bit about that. How do you you know if you're talking to a, to a potential investor that maybe you know, is looking for some exposure into the energy business and hasn't done it before and is looking for sort of just a baseline education on why the minerals and royalties asset class in general is stronger than some others or stronger than most. How, how would you, or do you agree with that thesis, number one? And if so, how would you sort of co- um, you know, coach someone through that on the front end? I think I'd, I'd certainly share with them offline about what happened last year when oil went to negative 47 and the fact that 
you know, our legacy assets didn't go to zero as far as cash flow. And then uh, from there, just having a, a real conversation about the risk, right? If you're looking at a private deal in real estate, you're probably looking at give or take 10% and you'll see, you know, potentially much more than that in uh, minerals and royalties, but that's, you know, it also matches that risk profile of oil and gas. And so different risk profile. What do you think about the minerals and royalty space sort of in conjunction with ESG? I mean, ESG seems to be the really hot acronym right now. Where do you think it fits into that space? Um, And are you having sort of, how heavy is that in the conversation that you're having? Is that something that's coming up all um, time and time again, or is that something that you're sort of seeing more in passing? So for minerals being such a passive cash flow hands-off asset, I'm not seeing that conversation as much. I mean, really, what is our ESG score? It's a weighted average of all the operators that we're under. And when you look through all the presentations of the publics, you see that they are making strides because of the pressures that they're feeling to go in the right direction, you know, less flaring, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of conversations, it's like, hey, we're here to hit a certain return target, and that's kind of where it ends. And it's interesting to, to talk to people in different states red blue and purple about that yeah you know i think that i I think it's a great point i think that there's a lot of sort of how do you weight that that esg angle where a lot of that conversation is sort of is is misguided narrative and misguided uh, incentives and and i don't think that especially if you're if you answer to shareholders or if you're a public i don't think on the royalty side you can afford really to lean into that too much at the at the detriment of your fund or the detriment of your return but at the same time i think the other side of that is that to a degree you know the, uh, the obviously upstream has become somewhat unbanked uh or unbankable maybe um and so uh, you know where i guess I guess the question out of that is, where do you sort of see the, the growth trajectory or where do you see the focus of being able to drive more profit per dollar within the upstream space to, to make these minerals and royalties asset class even stronger? I have no idea. What do you think, Ben? <laughs> so, so, okay, so I think that one of the, uh, the pieces there is, like Brian and I talked about yesterday, I think the... The coaching of people through the process of what extraction mining actually takes and what those things mean and sort of bringing the conversation back to equilibrium and, and really, you know, understanding how how the ubiquity and, and I think the, um, you know, the, and the cheap price of nat gas and, and, and crude is is a true value. I don't know if you saw, but um, um, Alex Epstein had a. Uh, um, he, he was testified in front of Congress yesterday and uh, was uh, gave a couple, uh, you know, had a couple of really good points talking to, I believe it was one of the leaders of the, uh, the uh, Dominican Republic, and was making he was making the point that you know over the last 20 years, apparently in the Dominican, or sorry, in the last 60 years, I think it was in the Dominican Republic, the life expectancy has risen over 20 years, you know, has risen 20 years plus, um, and and Alex was making the point that that is. Largely, if not ex- not exclusively, but largely energy uh, driven because of, of that gas and crude and the ability to power all the infrastructure. And, and of course, you know, the person on the other side was making the point that, no, it's the, you know, it's the healthcare and it's all the systems and, and that sort of that, that extrication of the, those two things. I mean, they don't, they're not, they don't know, they're not separate. They run in parallel, they run in tandem. And I think this is, it's a long way of saying, I think that the, the strength of the, the minerals and royalties class is to your point, that the the capital can be spent on improving the infrastructure and even driving that cost down further. And if you drive the cost down further, the minerals and royalty space, you know, that that 
that side of ledger continues to grow. Is that thesis? Do you follow that line of, th- of thought through there, or am I maybe kind of over in left field somewhere? I agree. I mean, I like to be able to sum it up with the all of the above theory, right? Like, hey, we're we're going in a certain direction, but it's all of the above for the foreseeable future. Where do you um? So for the last call it decade, there's been a phenomenal amount of private equity money that has flooded the minerals and royalty space and really been the backbone of that. You saw a lot of that money leave the space over the last 12 to 15 months. Uh, you know, minerals and royalties doesn't seem to be um, you know something that would have a strong positive uh, connotation out in like the, the, the public or retail markets. Where do you see the liquidity behind these larger minerals and royalties funds or, or these larger transactions uh, ha- happening? Is that you know is that going to be operators starting to buy more under themselves and and, and drive you know NRI higher? Is is that uh, just a refresh of, of private equity? I mean, where do you sort of see the liquidity in the in the space at a grand scale uh, coming from over the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I, what it reminds me of is the one article that I recently read that I want to say hedge funds and just other alternative sources are just flooding in. Maybe for an obvious reason right now that, hey, look at the price of oil over the past year. So they're kind of looking at it on space, but I mean, it's going to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if oil gets I mean, too I get, high, it's 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 gonna. I mean, you know, if you're listening to any of the pundits out there uh, right now, and they're, you know, Ryan had uh, um, David Blackman on on the Texas Oil and Gas podcast, I think it was last week or this week, and he was David was talking about you know, 150, 200 dollars oil. You know, and if we're you know if we're even gonna go, I mean, I, I think that that's comfortable thesis. I'd feel confident telling you that we're gonna see hundred dollar oil sometime in the next six nine months. Uh, it may even happen quicker than that. And I mean, if that if that's the case, you know, in, in addition to wanting to get out there and buy some minerals and royalties to, you know, to, to create that value, uh, you know, also getting out there to your point, getting out in front of the bit and trying to buy or, or just trying to buy some production. I mean, that seems to be some of the lowest, lowest hanging fruit out there right now. All right, folks. Appreciate you listening in. Appreciate the support. Appreciate you being with me. Let's talk about tossable digits. One of our affiliate partners with Alderon Ventures is Tossable Digits. It's similar to a Google Voice, except that times 10. Now, you can use it for anything, sales, ad tracking, workflow, real estate, any sort of follow-up you need, phone calls, text messaging. The kicker here, though, Tossable Digits allows you to get a local number in up to 60 different countries. There's no contracts anytime, cancel anytime. It's a fantastic platform, super easy to use. you got to check it out. Tossable digits. Learn more about it at alderonventures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. One more time, that is alderonventures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. A L D E R A A N V E N T U R E S dot com backslash affiliate dash partners. And now let's get you back to the show. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a mix, you know, from the uh, uh, middle market aggregators looking at retail capital, family offices, some institutions to the publics and just larger uh, firms that are looking at pensions, institutions, universities. And I guess on the operator side, it reminds me of an article that the, the, the growth in production might make sense for it to come from more of the private companies because they're not under the same sort of pressure, um, as intense pressure as the public's. 
So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to think about. No, I think I think that's a great point. Uh, and Michael, appreciate you coming in. And you're exactly right. You know, high oil prices leads to greater investment, which leads to greater production, which leads to more electricity, which leads to cheaper cost of, of electricity, which is uh, you know, which leads to a better quality of life. Uh, that 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 logic train, absolutely, 100, agree with you. Uh, and then uh, to to follow up, Ryan, appreciate you jumping in there. Uh, it was in the war, not Texas and Gas podcast. So with David Blackman, if you want to check out that episode, um, Tim, what's the what's the difference sort, uh, from the investor side, in your opinion? And maybe this is just maybe this is too even too uh, you know nebulous the question to ask. But I'm curious from the investor standpoint, if you're looking at uh, you know diving into minerals and royalties on the oil and gas side, or maybe buying a similar interest across either a solar or wind. What what are some of the comparison contrasts in that dynamic right now. Can you speak to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, on a super high level, we're looking at obviously minerals and royalties right now. We're looking at, you know, does it make sense to put capital together for these wind and solar developments where you're basically putting the land and the permits together and then flipping the project? You know, if that return looks attractive, maybe that makes sense, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I'd like to think, and this is why I think it's exciting to be more on the capital side uh, for the last year plus, is you put the bucket of capital together with whatever structure and then look at the look at the deal flow opportunities and you're not kind of painting yourself into a corner of just one niche of one industry. So I might have gone off the rails there. That might not be what you were asking, but that's, that's what uh, it made me think of. I know for a long time, the... What I describe as you know the seller's appetite to sell at quote unquote market in an area and a buyer's ability or willingness to buy at a market value, that delta had become so wide that for a long time it was really hard to find good quality deals because you know you had sellers asking for four hundred month multiples or you had buyers wanting to buy at you know some unbelievably ridiculous PV, uh, PV percent you know and, and so. Do you think that that delta has the delta become closer? Are these deals coming together more cleanly? Is that delta still wide? And are we going to is, are we still looking at some of these larger mergers and acquisitions? What's sort of the deal flow that you're seeing in the market? I mean, are, are most of these transactions on a larger scale? Are they are they more sort of micro? And then I guess coupled with that, um, you know, what does that look like from an acquisition side of, of how do you strategize to arbitrage into that market depending on you know depending on what you're seeing. Can I just take my pick from those 37 questions? Yes. Um, so if you, if, you answer, if you answer one, that'll be a win. It's okay. I just wanted to give you some thoughts there. Go ahead. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I thought I was just here for off the rails with a cup of coffee, but really it goes to what our thesis and our thinking is right now, which is we're not in 2014, 15, 16 anymore. And so, you know, we're thinking about things as I'm not going to be the Superman of deal flow, right? I, even with my network and everybody else's network, we're not going to go out there and do what you might've been able to do three, four five years ago. And so we're thinking about it differently. We're thinking about, Hey, we're going to, grab the organic deals that we can grab. We're going to work on club deals with our network. We're going to do some joint ventures potentially. And so, yeah, I, I think we're just looking about it, uh, thinking about it differently so that you, we can scale and not scaling a billion dollars a year worth of minerals or mm -hmm. solar or wind or any other asset class, but just time to market, time to cash flow um, and, and what's realistic, right? Some, uh, 
some capital, some investors are, are not going to like that. But uh, I think it's really just being realistic about the time and, and place that we're in and not painting yourself into a corner where something's going to go um, not so well because you just weren't being honest about what the expectations in the marketplace looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, um, uh, you know, what's the classic? You always make your money on the buy. I mean, I think the minerals and royalty space is a classic. You know, if you, if you have a strong thesis, you know the rock, you know the operators, and, and you understand the decline curves and sort of, you know, the, the picture, uh, you know, it's, it's somewhat simple to, to, to be on the right side of that because, you know, there's this, it's not a, not a really complex, I mean, to my view, it's not a very complex process to, to find those assets. It's about, to your point, it's about, patience and it's about understanding what that process is so that when you when you do ink a deal it, it's the right deal for sure so what about so, so it's, i feel like that last uh, that last answer was a little bit uh, sort of jubilee specific what what about just sort of sort of in general i mean do, do you find that i mean the conversations that you're having with uh with people sort of in your network i mean are are, are there more mineral deals happening you know in the last 12 months than there were in the you know in the prior 12 months to that or, or, um, or is there has been a slowdown and, and I mean, are you seeing some more sort of, do you think that the mineral uh, royalty space is in a time of sort of aggregation or do you, or, or do you find that it's going the other way or the small, whether bigger firms are looking to divest into smaller chunks and, and there's sort of the minnows uh, picking up some of the scraps. What, I mean, which way do you see the stream flowing? Yeah. So last year, the mineral deal flow just dropped off, right? 60, 70, 80% from at least the organic side from the guys that I've mm-hmm. talked to. And these uh, larger PE firms and public companies, I mean, they need, what, half of your asset base to be producing, another half to be pretty much right there, ready to go, and the other, uh, sorry, half producing quarter, um, ready to be producing, and the last quarter some sort of strong line of sight. And, you know, everybody probably has different metrics, but they need to have some sort of cash flow to just bring that into the public pool. So I think it's it's definitely been a stop and start over the past year. And now it's it's going again, right? The deal flow is on the increase. But um, I think there's a misnomer out there. Um, and I, I think a couple of guys got stuck in this and, and spent some money more on back end than actual deals when oil just dropped below zero. And they thought, wow, we are going to go out and buy so many minerals right now and be heroes in the industry. And I think the reality is you're not going to buy a lot of deals when oil's you know below $10, $20. And you may or may not buy that many deals when oil's over 100 I think it's actually really the best situation when oil's in that middle $60, $80 consistently because when a mineral owner is looking to divest, it's either a real or it's either something that they that they need right now. We're having a life event and they say, hey, this happened. You know, my kids are going to college. I need to pay for it. So I'm going to sell mm-hmm. or kind of in their head. They're thinking, well, oil's really low. I'm going to wait for it to go up. And if oil's really high and I'm getting this revenue, then why would I sell? And so when oil's more stable, it's actually better for the mineral acquisition market. 
I absolutely, absolutely agree. I think that's a great point. I think the the stability of the oil price really is the driver behind everything. I mean, it, it gives confidence to the operators that they can go punch holes profitably. It gives the mineral you know, the mineral owners more money in their pocket. I mean, sort of equity across the board. It, it fascinates me that there's guys you know in, in the oil business that've been out here for you know thirty something years, and, and they're talking about you know loving the the peak at 100 you know I, like you're like you said i'd much rather level out at 70 80 and, and everybody you know everybody's doing well everybody's making money and, and we can just you know continue the engine but uh that, that certainly hasn't been the uh the energy business of the last 10 years and hasn't been the energy business for the last century plus either so uh you know i guess here's the hoping though yeah it's, it's, it's super interesting to see at least the public's really having capital discipline right now and mm-hmm. is that going to last? I mean, it's probably going to last unless oil goes to 90 plus. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to last. Yeah. And then when you couple that with, I mean, you know, I'm sure we're going to see the Fed raise the rates here um, you know, in, in the near term. Um, and, you know, it looks like the winds of change have already started to blow on some aggressive moves in the the tax uh, rebate and, and you know the tax structure behind wind and solar. And then as a fallout from uh, from that oil and gas and sort of to a degree, I guess, leveling that playing field, but also, you know, certainly de-seating or unseating, um, you know, oil and gas from sort of that, that platform to a degree and making it more challenging in an environment where it's already incredibly challenging. So I think that's, you know, that's tough. But uh, but yeah, no, going back to your point, no, I think the, the stability of the oil price really is because, yeah, then, you know, then the valuation becomes much less sort of case by case to a degree. I mean, it's, it's, it's much more um, stable. Uh, which would obviously turn that you know turn into more transactions. So no, I think that's I think you're exactly right. We've talked a little bit about. I'm going to go in a little bit different direction. We've talked a little bit off air about some of the Bitcoin mining and utilizing stranded nat gas and and, and uh, power infrastructure to do that. Is that a space that, that that you're involved in? Is that something that uh, the Jubilee does, or is that some some more of kind of a, a side project? Talk to me a little bit about that. I know that you went to the the Bitcoin conference down in Miami a couple months back. What uh, what's your sort of prism on how blockchain and Bitcoin cryptocurrency interfaces with the energy business and, and, and how that might be able to play together? I think it plays um, very closely together. And I think you're going to see some announcements from some publics, specifically in the Permian over the next six to 12 months about all of the wonderful things that they're doing um, by taking, you know, instead of flaring, taking some of their um, energy there and pumping it right into Bitcoin mining and how that's uh, part of their strategic ESG plan. So, yeah, um, some of our capital partners are very um, involved with cryptocurrency, uh, Bitcoin from a uh, investment standpoint. And so we are, you know, we've been having conversations and are interested to see that sort of deal flow and um, see what, what we can put together and, you know, overall just learn more about that so that we can put, um, certain pieces together and, and put, you know, even just connect people, right? Create create a lot of goodwill and, and um, continue developing our professional networks by putting people together, regardless of whether it's a maybe a project for us or not. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you, I, um, there continues to be uh, a lot of talk around, uh, you know, carbon sequestration and things of that nature as well, which I think also may, you know, may dovetail into uh, into Bitcoin. You know, I, I think it's uh, it's interesting. I think there's still this sort of ethos out here, especially in, in West Texas. You got to be really careful when you say so. When you say blockchain out here, a lot of people still hear Bitcoin. And what, but when you say Bitcoin, I think out here it's still sort of a kind of 
one of those things that people haven't really grasped onto. But you're out, you know, you're out in New York City before I uh, before we launched on air. You, you know, you were walking around. Uh, it seemed like Times Square or very close to it, at least. Um, so you're out, sort of in the heart. I mean, has Bitcoin? I mean, it's part of popular culture out there. Is that is that a fair assessment, or am I am I off base there? It's part of popular culture. The guys, you know, the uh, the doormen in in the different buildings that I go in and out. I mean, they're literally saying, "Oh, Tim, Tim, it's going up today. It's going down today. What other coins besides Bitcoin and Ethereum should I, you know, uh, you know, should I throw five grand into? I mean, it's hilarious that, and you know, maybe uh, what's what's the line that. If your taxi driver is giving you investment advice, that maybe uh, maybe it's a little too far down the road, but it's it's definitely part of popular culture, part of day to day, and uh, it, it's fun, right? You know, you, you're, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 walking the dogs here in New York, and you know, some of the neighbors and door guys are just like, "Hey, Bitcoin's up today." Oh yeah, it's at thirty five. It's at forty. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. I thought it was funny. I mean, similar. Uh, Ryan uh, was talking. Uh, we talked about this on air a few weeks back. He uh, he took a fishing trip down south, and uh, I think down to Corpus down here in Texas. And the fishing guide was telling at the time that was when all the GameStop and a- AMC stuff was happening. And the fishing guy was telling him, you know, giving him stock tips. And I, I, to your point, I think that's just. I mean, you know, what a world we live in. Uh, you know, I, you know, I don't know if you saw this morning uh, the show we talked about uh, that Robin Hood get got hit over the head with about a seventy million dollar FINRA fine for uh, for some of the you know their uh, manipulating the market back uh, you know last year with some of those with some of those meme stocks or whatever. Um, I don't know. Are, have you or were you kind of in that space? Did you, were you following that story kind of before that hit the, the airwaves, or or is that something you kind of caught in um, you know after? After it all hit the fan, I guess it'd be fair to say I was following it in real time, but kind of more as an observer or someone buying you know, five dollars of AMC just to see, just to say I was part of history, right? Um, just to be in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think I made money on that, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, a whole, a whole brand new world, and it's interesting to have conversations with guys that say uh you know oh dogecoin or anything else like this is ridiculous and i'm like well you kind of have to think of it in reverse and it's makes absolutely no sense in most asset classes that something could start off as kind of an offhanded joke and then you know through the adoption process it gets a use case Mm -hmm. it sounds completely backwards but you can go buy mab gear with dogecoin so you know, it, that's a very, very small example, but I think you're going right. to see more of it. You know, I don't think that Facebook had all that much uh, more going forward or was that different from MySpace, but it's about adoption. So I think just on that alone, without diving into havings and max supply, but, you know, some mm-hmm. some people say, oh, well, all of these coins have a maximum supply, right? No, a lot of them don't. <laughs> Ethereum right, doesn't, yeah. which, which is actually kind of shocking. But, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know that we have enough time to go through all 10,000 coins today. But, uh, you know, it's a really interesting space to just learn more about and jump onto Coinbase or wherever else and just kind of click on each one. And go, oh, that makes sense or that, that that's wild. Right. But there's a lot of use cases when it comes to um, digital uh, NFTs, et cetera, et cetera. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to punt the NFT conversation for another uh, for another time because we're we're running up against the end, and, and I know that if we go down that rabbit hole, we'll, we'll talk for another hour. Um, but uh, I, I am. Um, so it's interesting the way that you frame that because so one of the things I took out of that, and, and and I firmly believe this. I mean, I think that 
really anybody that's looking to invest capital um, across the market or in the market, I think that there's a strong argument that everyone should have at least some exposure to the minerals and royalty space. To your point, I think that everyone should have some exposure to Bitcoin. I think I think the blended portfolio is really the win. Uh, but but I think the minerals and royalty space is unique enough that, that I think that that's something that, that, like I said, I think everyone should have some allocation in their portfolio to that. Um, so talk to talk to us a little bit. You know, since we are running a little bit, um, you know, I'll give you a couple minutes to. Uh, uh, if you want to talk about the fund a little bit and you know how people can learn a little bit more about that and maybe um, what the the fund size is, if you want to talk a little bit about that, feel free. Wanted to take a quick break. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you're looking for your own fast and reliable dedicated server or maybe a domain at a fantastic price, hosting services, security, managed WordPress, whole range of innovations. Namecheap.com. It was started in 2000 with a mission to deliver the best domains at the best prices with the best service. And they have gone ahead and done that through and through over the last 20 years. Go ahead and check it out. AlderonVentures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. One more time. AlderonVentures.com backslash affiliate dash partners. A-L-D-E-R-A-A-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S.com backslash affiliate dash partners namecheap.com check it out sure so mike who uh, you read his uh comment earlier mike alex the whole team at jubilee um makes it really a joy to work with through this process which right now it's a 10 million dollar offering um that we're in the capital uh, raising side of and then we're going to go deploy it and go do the same thing next year so um it's super interesting to work on the retail investor side of things, talk with family offices, talk with multifamily offices, talk with institutions, and um, really see what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And um, really, uh, if there wasn't so much noise in Times Square, I was kind of hoping we could do it from there. I was just going to go around and ask people, like, do you know what the price of oil is today? Nobody in Times Square, unless they're from down south, knows what the price of oil is today. Um, so it's, uh, you know, not a New York thing, but it's really educating people. And you know, it reminds me, Alex was on the phone with someone, uh, at a hedge fund the other day and we had a 50 minute conversation. It started with like, what are minerals? And then it like, it went all the way to like, why wouldn't I just go do this myself? And it's like, respectfully, I would challenge you to go do it yourself. Cause, uh, it's, it's, it's got its challenges, right? So being on the acquisition yeah. side of all of that. Um, it's been hugely helpful to just be able to convey that story and educate people. And uh, I honestly, even with five, technically six publicly traded minerals companies in the marketplace in the U.S., I still think it's the best kept secret. I mean, people, it's it's been fun for me being in New York, being in California, being in Florida and talking to people and educating people and having a good time mm-hmm. with it as opposed to, you know, GFW, Midland. They're like, yeah, I know 17 people that do minerals. I don't want to hear about it, right? So it's been interesting to just be able to have more of those conversations. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're up to. Yeah, no. Um, and by the way, I'd love to do that. We, we should talk about uh, you know um, put, put on uh, putting on a show and having you walk around Times Square and, and having that conversation. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I didn't think about doing that today, but uh, but no, I think I'm sure we can set that up. I'm be- I'm sure Ryan would want to be a part of that too. Oh, was yeah. that? Tim, I was half waiting for you to tell me that I was on mute for that whole thing. So, I, but I guess I figured it out. So, perfect, perfect. I think you and Ryan should both come up to New York. We'll start. We'll do like three shows in one day, right? We'll do one in Freedom Tower on the 85th floor. 
We'll look at everything and then we'll we'll take a limo to Times Square. We'll eat pizza and drink Coca-Cola and pretend that we're Kevin McAllister. And we'll go around Times Square and ask people what the price of oil is and hand them 20 bucks if they get it right. And then we'll go up to Central Park, go for a carriage ride or, or do whatever else. I think it'll be fun. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's set it up. Although, I, although uh, I don't know. New York seems like a very dystopian landscape from what I see down in Texas. What's the what's the what's the feeling on the ground out there? Everything's fine. I'm sitting at yeah. a diner. It's coming back. There was actually a line literally down the entire New York City block to get into the American uh, Museum of Natural History. What I was coming out here today. So. Um, I don't know if they're maybe having a special event, but the city's coming back, the country's coming back, and the price of oil is going up and to the right. That's all I know. Oh, and Bitcoin, yeah, no, I, and, and Bitcoin's gone up more than 200% a year for the last, since the beginning, so on average. So th- there you go. If, if, if you're going to buy it, just hold it for four years or more. That's not investment advice. That's just reality. You know, it's, it's funny, uh, you know, you people like you and I can say that till we're blue in the face, but there's still people that will hear that and it'll just go from one ear out the other. And you know, but it's all you got to do is look at the chart. But it, it's fascinating to me how sort of how people have sort of talked themselves out of even being able to get on board with the idea of believing in Bitcoin. Forget like believing it or owning it. Just like having this like cognitive dissonance of oh, I can't even get to the point where I would like give that credence to be legitimate. Yeah, I've, I've I've talked to a few guys and they said, "Oh, you guys and your magic money." So you know that's fun. I mean, it's like, I I kind of took the aggressive pivot, I guess. And Ryan makes fun of me for this, but I mean, I, I don't even talk about it because yeah, I, I just don't have the desire to really have that conversation. It's like you either you're either in it and you know about it, or like there's nothing I'm going to be able to say that's going to change your mind one way or the other. And I don't need to be like an evangelist about it. Um, but uh, but I will say that's different than and I'm I'm going to take us like on a pivot here. But that's different than on the like the minerals and royalties and sort of that um, that that perspective because I think that is something that kind of needs to be to a degree evangelical because I think there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation in that space um, that is for a long time has sort of serviced the 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 capital and serviced the operators and sort of kept the mineral owners to a degree I think you know blind you know I think that there's so I used to be in minerals a lot more uh, strongly than I am now. Uh, did a number of transactions, and time and time again, you know, I, I would find that when I was talking to a landowner, if they had a you know absurd ask on a valuation, you know, a lot of times all I would need to do is sit down and explain the process of okay, so you know, here is where your minerals are. Here's what the production looks like, and, and couple that with you know, here's so you're in Borden County, and and this that's what the production looks out like out here. Um, you know, out in Martin County, Texas, you know, the production is a lot stronger. And so the, you know, the operators are able to pay more and that's why your minerals are worth, uh, aren't worth the same. And then talking about what it actually takes to put a lease, uh, a leasehold program together, put a drilling program together and how much money is spent prior to the oil company realizing dollar one. I think that conversation goes a long way to helping the mineral owner understand the true value that the oil and gas company plays. But I think for a long time, the oil and gas company has just sort of come in with this attitude of we're the big bad wolf. We're going to give you a check, but you're just, you, know, you just need to say yes and sign on the dotted line rather than explaining you know, how challenging, to your point, you, know, you said it's, you know, a couple of guys you talked to was like, oh, why don't I go do this? I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for how incredibly challenging and expensive it actually is to go pull that stuff out of the rock. And I think through that conversation, 
you can sort of educate people so that it's not. So yeah, you know, as a mineral buyer, you met you might get a worse PV, but I think net that education across the spectrum is healthy for the ecosystem. For sure, a lot of a lot of education that can be done, a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt across all these alternative assets, right? Oil, gas, minerals, royalties, crypto. I mean, it's pretty easy to be cynical and negative about stuff. So ain't that the truth. I as 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 Kevin O'Leary often says, when I look at a deal, I look at what is the upside? What if this works? Right. Um mm-hmm. Because everything that's out there, you kind of know what the return profile is. So if you look at something that's a little bit different, well, what is what is the target? What is the upside? What if this does work, right? And it's not because it's something brand new when it comes to to oil and gas, but um, right. very very interesting times. It really is. Well, Tim, um, you know we're running up against time. So um, if you have any last thoughts or, or um, last, uh, if you want to pitch anything. Give you the four one more time but if not we're going to go ahead and I'll, I'll give a quick wrap up and we're going to go ahead and sign off here but i really appreciate the conversation i really enjoyed this i think uh, you made some great points and, and looking forward to uh, hopefully having another conversation maybe later in this year maybe early part of next year and getting uh, you know getting another update from you yeah i'll either come to midland or you can come to new york i don't know which one would be more fun and hilarious i think i think we're going to have to get ryan and i up to new york i'm with that and i think you know no going around times square having like to your point having some pizza maybe actually i'm craving a good bagel to be honest with you get a good bagel in town and then uh, you know talk to some people about oil and gas um ryan actually made his rounds around the northeast around sort of the election cycle last year so so i think getting him up there uh getting ryan to let me say it this way. Getting Ryan to New York City would be substantively easier than getting Ryan to Midland. So, Fair but, enough. Uh, <laughs> Noted. See there? See there? See there it is. So, Ryan, you're, you're, he's coming to New York. We'll get it locked up. Uh, we'll take some dates, get that done. So, Tim, appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and sign off. Um, and then I will uh, post, uh, post the show notes here. And, uh, again, I'm going to actually – put this one uh, you and i talked about uh, before that this wasn't going to be published on the podcast app i think i am going to go ahead and put that on there so you guys can find that on the podcast app on and on spotify as well I believe next week but uh Tim, i appreciate the time and uh, we'll have to do it again let's do it have a great day you too all right and that is a wrap i am your host ben samuels this has been another episode of coffee and liquidity appreciate the support appreciate you guys showing up Go ahead and check out alderonventures.com for more information about what we've got going on and future episode releases. Thanks, guys.